Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hangtime Podcast. Joining us now, comedian Chelsea Peretti, NBA All-Star Roy Hibbert. Roy is our nation's most treasured actor. He's got chops, he's got talent, and he also has three tickets to Lakers games. <laughs> With your host, Galliot Anderson, stops it down behind his head. Seku Smith, Lang Whitaker, and Rick Fox. Our next guest should have been our first guest, Isaiah Thomas. How do you think you would play in today's NBA with the rules the way they are? Be honest. Uh, Average story. <laughs> we will win a lot. <laughs> and it's, it's our main man, Roderick Turner from the Los Angeles Times. Hey, too, can I say this first? <laughs> you know you when can. When I was covering the Lakers, when Rick Fox played, I had hair. They wore me out. Now it's time for the tip-off. Under three minutes to play. Shot clock is down to five. Bryant goes to work. Bryant the drive. Oh-ho! Kobe Bryant! He was looking for somebody to challenge him, and nobody came quick enough to stop Kobe Bryant turning back the clock, dunking on kids like it's 2001 or something. Get get your (laughs) KEDs. I can't believe performances. I can't believe anybody would want to argue about whether or not we we roll into the Hangtime podcast. And it's Seku Smith here. Uh, from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com in Atlanta. Lang Whitaker in New York. Yo. Rick Fox on the West Coast. Somewhere on the West Coast. How somewhere. dare how dare Greg Wagan, our super producer, suggest we don't want our theme music at the start of the show. We don't want to hear the theme music. Did you, did you ever see Shaft walk in the room without Isaac Hayes blaring in the background? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Welcome in, everybody. Good to see you and good to hear us, hopefully, uh, once again here on the show. Uh, a lot of big things going on around the league, but we got an action-packed show here today. That we Look, LeBron was great the other night. You know, him and Wilt Chamberlain, only two guys to, to put up the stat lines he put up the other night against Charlotte. 13-14 from the floor, 31 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. You know, we're talking – a four-decade difference in, in, in terms of the last time somebody put up a stat line like that. It's fantastic. See, I don't know if you saw this, but Brent Barry, who we were going to talk to a little later, actually noticed this, and we talked about it on the jump yesterday, that in that game there was a play where LeBron threw an alley-oop to Chris Anderson, and it was a bad alley-oop, and it hit the rim and bounced out, and the other team got the ball and went down to the other end. But – because they were playing in Miami, that was not a shot. That was a turnover. C-O-N-spiracy. You sound like you're trying to start up some conspiracy theory talk. I thought you were going to tell me that he threw a lob to Chris Anderson, and Chris Anderson didn't get to it quick enough, so he just went and caught it and dunked it himself. <laughs> no, actually, that that Bones called me about that, and then I called John Schumann, NBA.com, stat man uh, extraordinaire, and we, John and I, Went over it, and we, you know, John looked at, it, I looked at it, and we called uh, Jeff Case, who's uh, our supreme producer at NBA.com. He got uh, a video cut, and I tweeted it out, Lang. I don't know if you saw that. 
No, but I, I tweeted out the actual play and uh, asked, kind of asked people for their thoughts. Did you think it was a turnover or a shot attempt? Most of them thought it was a turnover. You know, LeBron did turn his head and try and look off, you know, the defender and throw up the kind yeah. of no-look pass. But uh, Either didn't... that or he just thought he was hot and he could just <laughs> – <laughs> Didn't quite pan out the way he had hoped. Um, Spurs are 110 straight, guys. The Celtics oh, are going to oh. trade everybody, you know. Uh, you know, the same all, – all the headlines that were basically cooking – Usually around this time of year. Yeah, all the crazy headlines that are usually cooking, uh, you know, bef- in, in the lead-up to the trade deadline, of course. But uh, Groundhog Day. Exactly. But, again, we got, we, got, uh, we got some action-packed guests lined up here this week on the Hangtime Podcast, and we need to, we need to give them their time to, to kind of uh, talk and explain themselves. Guys, we finally got him on here. Uh, he's been avoiding us for whatever reason. I don't know if it's uh, Wait a breath minute, or... <laughs> Brent Berry, folks, is finally on the Hang Time Podcast oh. for the first time this season. I hope I hope people out there understand on this podcast that there is a hierarchy of guests. <laughs> and when people that Seku calls or Rick Fox calls or Lang at GQ can't get a hold of, <laughs> I get a phone call. That's how this works. Come on, man. You know you got to stand an invitation. You can come in here and do this show for us if you want to. Whatever you I'm want. Always, I'm always ready, willing, and able to come on this glorious podcast with the <laughs> three of you. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, guys. I uh, hope your day is going. I'm still trying to recover from the 49ers loss Ooh. in the Super Bowl. Uh, five yards from too. glory. Five yards from glory. But uh, otherwise, things are good. We all picked the 49ers, by the way, so. Yeah. We all we all bid it on our our Super Bowl picks. Uh, you, Brent, you you know how we get to this point in the season, and um, and we start looking around and wondering who's going to get moved and what's going to happen here and there and there. What's the, what's the one thing going on right now to in, in your mind that is the the real backbone story of what's going to determine how the second half of the season shakes out. I don't know. I think all signs still point towards the Lakers yeah. and all all of the things that have gone on with them. I mean, it's the most talked about team that's a few games under 500 that I can remember <laughs> in the past decade. Right. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, the the shatter between you know on the on the public front between Mike D'Antoni and Paul Gasol and how he fits into. Uh, the offense, which which doesn't resemble really anything that D'Antoni offense was in Phoenix at this point. Uh, Dwight Howard's situation with his injuries. Um, the Lakers committing to a long-term deal with Dwight Howard. I know that there was news that they have assured him that he's not going anywhere. They're not looking to trade him. They want him there long-term. But everything that surrounds what the Lakers have been about this season has been completely intriguing, from their injuries to their personality battles to the egos to uh, the coaching switches to management that has been uh, a hot button topic for for most nba analysts and writers it's funny you say that brent because yesterday while we were taping the jump the best show on nba tv um at one point i think jared said the Lakers moved to three and a half games out of the playoff race or whatever. And, and it was just so jarring to hear someone say the Lakers three games out of the playoff race uh, and to actually have those words come out. But my, my question to you then is do the Lakers make the playoffs and, and is this a team that's going to do anything in the, in the playoffs? You know, I can't see that they don't make it 
I mean, mathematically, everybody's trying to figure out, wow, can they finally get in there? And the only thing that's going to stop them is if they have these reoccurring injuries. But it's really right. hard for me as a, as a former player to look at the roster and think to myself that that group of talent, knowing what they're capable of doing when it's crunch time, uh, when it's the most needed, to come up with performances that end up getting them into the postseason. I mean, I just look at Kobe Bryant and think about all the things that Kobe has done throughout his career. Right. This is a, this is a challenge, obviously, that he was not expecting to face. But I just don't ever count that guy out. And then mm-hmm. you talk about Nash and Gasol on the back end of that, Meta and Dwight, if he gets himself healthy. There's, there's too much going on there that doesn't make me feel like they can get to Portland and Houston by the time the end of the season rolls around. Brent, with uh, with that in mind, in terms of Dwight Howard's you know, all-star break fiasco last year and coming up on it again, he's expressed that he doesn't want any of that same you know, busyness uh, of, of media swirl around whether or not he wants to commit to the Lakers or not and stay around. Play GM. Are you, are you, do you want, would you want Dwight Howard as a Lakers still, or do you think he's just uh, that type of player that's just – Never going to be a championship caliber player. Well, I'd like to answer that, and then I'd like to hear you answer it too, Rick, because uh, you know okay. that organization quite well. I, I feel, you know, deep down for me, I, I would feel like it's not something that I would want to commit to long term. And the reason that I say that, this is nothing against Dwight Howard about being an effective big man, uh, a guy that can put up obviously double doubles on a nightly basis and be productive on the inside. All, all the personality and character traits aside, he's, he's an incredible talent. I just would put more faith and stock in the fact that I am the Lakers and that instead of committing that money to Dwight Howard for the future of our franchise, I would think that if Kobe Bryant's playing two more seasons and I'm the Los Angeles Lakers, I find a way to get somebody else in there that Kobe passes the mantle to to lead this organization further. Now, is that a Kyrie Irving in a couple of years out of Cleveland? Is that a Kevin Love where you swing a deal to bring Kevin back to the West Coast? I don't know. But I look at the scenario of giving the money to Dwight Howard and hoping that something happens or trusting the faith of the franchise in the name and, and the sort of reputation that the Lakers have always had as being a championship caliber organization, always getting the guy that they want, and maybe put more stock in that. And I don't know how you feel about it, Rick, but I'd be interested to hear it. Yeah, I think you bring up really good points there, uh, Brent. I, I, I've followed along and I've had I've been vocal here in town along with a number of other uh, former Laker players here from Magic to James Worthy to Robert Ory. And, and the sentiment is is one that, you know, Dwight is who Dwight has shown us he is. And he showed us in Orlando. And maybe we thought a change of environment and here in Los Angeles would be one with Kobe Bryant as and Pau Gasol and Steve Nash surrounding Dwight, that he would he would be able to play a role, find out what it means to become a champion, and then maybe the colors would shift and he would it would click for him, you know. But his his personality and his his unfortunately his health has not been there for him to be the best he could be probably physically, but just his demeanor as a basketball player has has left a lot to be desired from those that know what it takes to win championships and. I know there's been a lot of disruptive um, 
things in terms of the coaching and the system. Uh, but yet, at the end of the day, if having fun is the most important thing to you when it comes to your career, then I don't know how serious you are about doing what it takes to win a championship. And because winning a championship, the, the journey to winning a championship necessarily can be enjoyable at the end of the day when you look back. But on the way there, if you're having too much fun and, and, and there's not enough pain, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. And I, and I just haven't seen that yet. And so when you look about when you look at where the Lakers are going in terms of what options they have to make changes to improve themselves, I can't believe myself that this group that we have here attached are below you know below 500, you know scratching to make the playoffs and only getting older next year. And uh-huh. when you're talking about the pieces that you can you can exchange or use for for value to bring back value. You're losing all leverage with Dwight Howard as the as the days go by because not only is he not healthy right now, he's t- he he had questions about coming to Los Angeles in the first place, which yep. told me that there was some apprehension, maybe some some nerves around being on the big stage and whether or not he could follow in the footsteps of all the legends that came through, uh, big men especially, and he wanted to be in Brooklyn. So I don't I don't know how you move him now at this current time because. What are you going to get in, in return? I mean, everyone knows you're you're trying to move him. So if you hold on to him, you got to hope that he doesn't do exactly what he said he was going to do, which is leave and go somewhere that he wanted to be in the first place. And I think it'd be hard for him to turn down probably an additional twenty, thirty million dollars. But at the end of the day, the Lakers have to somehow convince him to be here at least until they sign him. And if it doesn't work out, you know, halfway through next year or next year again, then maybe you can try and move him. But that makes that makes Kobe one year one year older again. Yeah, uh, NBA. Yeah, Lang, Lang and St. Cure. I'm just going to say this, and I'm going to speak for Rick. And if I'm out of line, Rick, please let me know. As a player, <laughs> Rick Fox and I know how good Dwight Howard is. Sure. As a yes. as a big man in this league, a coveted position, we know just how valuable that is. We understand how much his talent can affect uh, a, a team and a franchise. Mm-hmm. There, yep. there is no questioning that. Okay, I, I I truly believe that you know we we as ex players always look at guys that are in these types of situations wanting to do the best. There's a reason why Shaq and Magic and Rick and Robert Ory, ex Lakers, ex great players, are coming out and speaking in this vein about Dwight Howard, and it's because they know what he's capable of doing. Yeah. They know yeah. the type of uh, of stamp that he can put on his legacy as a dominant big man in this league if he wants to do it and how much he has to change. And I think what you're getting, Sekou and Lang, is frustrations from those ex-players because they know just how short that window is. They know just how important that window is in terms of your career and what it is that you can do within the game of basketball. And they they don't see it from them. And it frustrates them almost to the point of frustrating them more than it frustrates Dwight, Dwight, in our opinion. That's it. NBA TV's Brent Berry is on with us, guys, and uh, it, uh, listening to both of you talk about it, it it comes with a little more credence, obviously, from two guys who have won championships and played with dominant big men. I was thinking about that while while Rick was talking, Lang. Um, Brent, what is it that what is it this that Tim Duncan had, or uh, what was it about him that made his personality so perfect? as the, the the centerpiece for that championship team. Obviously, the talent has to be there, but there have been a lot of guys with, with big talent that didn't have whatever that other fabric was that allowed other guys to play around them and, and, and pave the way for championships. 
well, let's just get this out on the table, Sekou, before you put your own foot in your mouth. <laughs> it's, not, it's not what Tim Duncan had. It's what he still has. Oh, yeah, I mean, you so, know what I mean. I mean, yeah. I, no, I'm just getting that clear. <laughs> Tim, Tim is, is still – I mean, look at what he's been able to do this year. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think that the misnomer, and, and this is quite obvious, and it's, said, it's been said a thousand times, is that, you know, Tim just doesn't do it with a lot of uh, – a lot of flash and dash, well, but sure. he is as he is as vicious a competitor as mm-hmm. Kobe is. Mm-hmm. He, okay. he is is just as driven as Kobe is. Now he doesn't go about in the same way, but that's what it stems from. Is that Tim's desire to be the best that he can be? He understands that by him accepting that challenge, he's going to also uplift and create opportunities for other guys uh, to do the same thing. Yeah. And I harken back to the story, always the story. When I was first signing with the Spurs, I came in the middle of the summer. It was in July, and it was like the 15th, 16th of July. I walk into R.C. Buford's office in the practice facility. We're sitting in there. The blinds are drawn. R.C. and I are chit-chatting a little bit. And he walks out of the office to go grab a couple waters because you got to stay hydrated. <laughs> and so I'm sitting in the office, and I'm hearing a ball bounce in the practice facility. And I stand up and I casually go over to the blinds and I just pinch them open a little bit and I look in there and Tim is in there by himself on the shooting machine that's kicking out balls to him, working on a 14-foot left block bank shot in the middle of July. <laughs> and as I watched Tim shoot four or five shots and close the blinds and sat back down before RC got back in, I kind of settled in saying, you know what, this is probably a good place to be. <laughs> yeah, well, to piggyback, to piggyback off that, last year, or maybe it was, I think it was last season, the Spurs were in New York, and it was in February. It was on Valentine's Day, and I was going to do a Duncan story, and, and Tim said uh, through uh, Tom James, he said, come to, to shoot around at the gym. So I went to the gym, and which player stayed later than every other player on the Spurs to work on uh, little jump hooks? Tim Duncan the last guy to leave that day uh, in the middle of the season. Um, but Rick was talking earlier about uh, championship players. And as two guys who have won a combined five titles between the two of you guys, I'm curious to hear both Rick and Brent about this. Can players, is there a switch you can flip or, or is there not? Will Dwight Howard never have that? Or, or can, can these guys, can players learn to do whatever it takes to get to that level? I don't know how Rick feels about it, but I would tell you this. They're they're born. They're mm-hmm. born with a, a drive that you don't have to – it never goes off. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's constantly there. And then what they do is once one challenge is met, they try to make up another one, and then mm-hmm. they attack that. I mean, you yep. look at the way each of those guys' careers has gone. They all do the same thing. They, they get to a level, at least the superstar guys. Now, we're talking about guys that are supposed to be carrying franchises. So you're you're not you're you're not talking about stiffs. These are guys that understand that the challenge at hand is to try to master one thing, and then once they're there, they're not settled with that. They're on to the next thing. Well, so I don't I think, think it, it ever switches off. No, and I I agree with you, man. And and, and look, it, at the end of the day, like you were saying, Brent, the reason a lot of us are communicating so passionately about wanting more or wanting to see Dwight 
at the end of the day, maximize his potential and become become a champion is because you know we all we we root for each other, especially retired players. We root for everyone to leave the league with a championship because we know how how rewarding and, and gratifying it can it can feel for all your hard work and all your years. Uh-huh. Uh, and and in regards to Dwight, it's it's for me when you talk about the switch. You know, sometimes players can can pull another player up, or you can you can be in the presence of greatness and you can emulate it, and and for some reason start to understand what it takes. And that's what I was hoping for him with Kobe, getting him around Kobe and seeing his actions and and, and his mannerisms and the way he approaches the game and and the the intensity with which he competes at and plays at. And, it, and maybe if you don't have it outwardly already there present, maybe you adapt it to your game. But mm-hmm. I, I agree, Brent. It, it is it is hard if it's not already there for there to be a switch. Uh, you know, it, it just it you, you are who you are from a character base, and the only way some of that sometimes that character can change is if you develop it by being in the presence of other others that demand it of you. You know what, too, Rick. You know what, too, is interesting, Rick, is you're talking about. The, you're talking about Kobe, who obviously is the alpha male in this situation, but there's a dynamic to this Laker team. In order for Dwight Howard to understand more of what it takes or the challenges that he should maybe take on um, as he tries to become a better player or snap into a championship mode, he not only has Kobe, but I know Steve Nash has not won a championship, but you're talking about a guy on the other end of the spectrum that is a hands-on Feel good, positive karma. Drink your wheatgrass. Come do some yoga. I mean, you, you've got two guys that are are dynamically, uh, drastically different, but are both mm-hmm. teaching the same thing to you, are yeah. both trying to get the same message to you. And I think that's a really interesting set of circumstances that Dwight's in, having both of those personalities and both of those obviously Hall of Fame talents around him and which one maybe he's able to connect with more as the season goes on obviously he wants to get healthy and all that but which one he kind of maybe has more of a connection with is pretty interesting you know you know what makes me scratch my head about this whole thing too guys is there was a time a couple years ago when we talked similarly about lebron james Mm -hmm. remember when they were doing the the picture taking in cleveland and Everything was always all smiles and jokes. And I and I was, you know, we were wondering, does he have it in him to become the, the champion that he's become, obviously, since then? And I'm and I'm wondering, is there is there that large a disconnect between the raw materials you're working with with in, in Dwight Howard and LeBron James? Like are they that different of talents? From my eye, do you think yes. from my eye, yes. Mm-hmm. I think different stripes. Yeah. Definitely, definitely two different strikes. Yeah, LeBron had was enjoying himself with his teammates and 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 uh, Cleveland, but he was all he's always been a, he's always been on attack mode. Right, and he's always been looking to absolutely you know, driven. Yeah, from from my eye, mm-hmm. it also seems like the the people who were saying that about LeBron. There, there's more people saying that about Dwight than there were about LeBron. Sure. Is that fair to say? Uh, the other thing with Dwight is, is I mean, are, are, can we chalk or how much of this do we chalk up to health or injury? I actually went on YouTube the other day and watched some clips of Dwight from the Magic and their run to the title that year. 
and it's almost 180 degrees a different player yeah you know i mean he i i, I looked up his dunk totals actually too and he's still dunking about the same amount of times per games but if you go on you know he's not was rim rattlers yeah, no he's... he was dunking all over guys <laughs> it was like crazy yeah now it's it's a totally different type of player and i, I don't know if if we can do we cr- discredit some of all this because he's not the player he used to be or does that matter is he supposed to play through this and and be the champ be a champion well i think you can can't lang you you and seku have been in the media for for a long time one of you does a much better job than the other thank you um, don't talk about lang like this i can't believe you said that (laughs) what what i don't like is isn't there isn't there a sentiment that maybe the way that we've heard from dwight this year at some point that you don't want to hear him talk about the injury we we get it we know that he had back surgery we we know that that's difficult to come back from, and that he's uh, he's not quite the same player that he was. But it seems more often than not that that crutch is leaned on whenever Dwight talks about how things are going. That he leans on that as if that's that's holding him back. To me, that's more of a, an out and more of a. And I'm not saying he's not hurt. He's genuinely hurt. I, I get that. We understand that. But I would just like to hear maybe a different bravado in the way that he speaks about what he's wanting to do it doesn't seem like he's angry that he's hurt he wants you to sympathize or empathize with him that he's hurt yeah, he wants right. you to, to know hey, hey look i'm hurting but i'm trying these things instead of you know i'm really trying to work on this thing and and uh hope that i get better but i'm, I'm every day if i feel like it's coming along it's not really ever in the positive vein it's more like well i, I kind of i can't do those things that's crazy. May, maybe that sort of communication it just promotes less confidence um, in him as a player. To me, mm. I just like to hear it a different way. You know, you know what, Brent and and Rick, something that kind of struck me about this whole thing too is Brent mentioned that you know the champions are born, but I but I've always wondered, looking back over the you know the NBA over the past few decades, how much of this is. The, the nature of the beast, the nature of that specific guy, and how much of it is the environment he's in and whether or not his inner leader and all that stuff is, is nurtured along. Like, I felt like in Orlando, anytime Dwight spoke up too much when he was in Orlando, he was seen as a whiner and a crybaby. And this, when it might have been his form of trying to be a leader, and I, and I know that's tough for young players, but I wonder how much of this is, you know, how much of Tim Duncan's career has been molded, Brent, by the guys he was around. How much of Shaq or Kobe's career do you think was molded by the veterans and the other guys around them when they were young players coming up and helping them develop some of the qualities that Steve Nash and Kobe are looking for out of Dwight right now that maybe he's just never had somebody around to help cultivate that stuff until now? Yeah, I think that's a great point, Seku. I think that, uh, you know, obviously Tim Duncan's situation was having uh, the Admiral in front yeah. of him and being able to be in the same culture in the same system with pop all those years uh, definitely lends to your argument that having a, a mentor a positive mentor and somebody that's a role model for you in the ways that you need to do things um, that's there but it hasn't Dwight had the experiences of being around those guys I guess often, I mean Bo Outlaw and Grant Hill saying, were no I'm not saying on the team I mean uh-huh. as an all-star as a member right, of the Olympic right. team I mean right. haven't there been touches with that same greatness that you maybe should 
you know, try to take full advantage of and sponge in a little bit. And, you know, I know that Dwight has done that. We can't keep saying everything that he's not done this and not that. He's, he's done some good things. Yeah. But we're talking about, you know, a situation in, in Los Angeles, as Rick was mentioning, that the fact that these guys are not in the playoffs or are not a team that's above 500 with all that going on and the way that things have been communicated and centering around the center, um, you know, it just brings up a lot of valid talking points about where it is that, that Dwight sees himself now and where he sees himself in the future and how he's going to go about those things because for three or four seasons now, it just hasn't been – enough of a change speaking of change brent um (laughs) as we get off of dwight howard's case i'm sure we'll hear from somebody complaining about um a possible move brent by the by the sacramento kings back to seattle which i know has a you know a place in your heart uh as a city and obviously the franchise there having played for the supersonics as long as you did what's your what's your feeling about a team being back there and how that team will be received by the fans in Seattle? I think for diehard fans, it, it would take a, a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things I always talk about when people are asking me about this situation is I, I think about, and this is aside from Sacramento, I think about for the last five, six, seven years, fathers have not been able to take their sons and mothers have not been able to take their sons to a game to see LeBron James play because the Sonics are no longer part of what it is is Seattle basketball culture. Mm-hmm. And I think about how much I would have missed that when I was a kid to not be able to go to Warrior games and and uh, the Warriors play against Larry Bird once a year or right. to see Magic Johnson come to town. And, uh, you know, how much that motivated me to, to say, wow, this is something I really think that I'd like to do that. That'd be a great first job out of college. <laughs> so I, I think that, that, that um, you know, some of that gets lost in terms of the generation of, of basketball fans and, and having those sort of opportunities that are special and unique when you have a professional sports franchise in town. And without Seattle having that in terms of basketball the last few years, uh, that, that's where I think about most how much that will impact what goes on in the Northwest. Brent, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever heard you talk about this. I'm curious. Obviously, you grew up the son of one of the great basketball players of all time, but who was your favorite player growing up? You just mentioned Larry Bird. It made me wonder, was there a guy who you kind of modeled your game after growing up? Well, I spent a lot of time with Chris Mullen when I was growing up, obviously watching him as a, as a warrior, but then spending a lot of time with Chris in the off-seasons back in the Bay Area when I'd go home from Oregon State and we'd be in the gym uh, you know, four or five hours a day uh, for three straight summers. So Chris was always a guy who I always felt like was a big brother to me. Before that, obviously, growing up and watching, it was Larry and Magic and Michael. I mean, if guys don't mention those guys in the, in the same breath when they were growing up as the guys they watched most, uh, I'm always shocked when I don't hear those three names first. But Chris Mullen was the guy who I really respected, really spent a lot of time with, and was really one my all-time favorite favorite player. And Pistol Pete, I would say, is a guy that I, if you want to talk about emulating, that's that's a guy who I always thought would be fun to play like. I got a chance to meet Pistol when the All-Star game was in Seattle, as a matter of fact, back in 1987. Got a chance to spend some time with him and was always a, a favorite of mine. That's, that's, that's an interesting list because I know it takes a different set of mentors to, you know, to, to help guide every player. Brent, is it fair to say that Coolio – is your hip-hop mentor since he put you in his video 
it's all the way live. Lang, Brent and I have watched this video, and I think you and you and Ulrich Alexander Fox need to go check this thing out. This, this, this may be some of the best cameo work in the history of hip-hop. Well, here's the thing. This is very unique that you bring that up, because what I was trying to do was help promote the movie that Rick Fox was so excellently cast in, in, in the movie Eddie, the All the Way Live video was for That's the right. movie Eddie huh. and Malik Malik Seeley, the late Malik Seeley, oh, one of my yeah. one of my favorite teammates, and I were called in for God knows whatever reason. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Malik why. But we were called in to do the Coolio video <laughs> and to do a couple, you know, slam dunks and basketball moves in a lit up studio. I was disappointed because there weren't the, you know, the hoochies there. I was hoping to get my dance, my freak on, with a couple of the of the scantily clad women that like to do the rap videos. That was my biggest hope. And it ended up being just me and Malik, which right. was disappointing. But uh, we were just trying to help that movie along. And with Rick's performance, it obviously did not need any help. Obviously. I, I was, that made me think, you know, as we have – Rick Fox, who has had carved out quite a career in Hollywood. Brent, do you look up to Rick at all as an actor? You, you've you done quite a few things yourself between Jerry Maguire and the, the Wayans brothers. I'm not, I'm not acting. Rick is actually a, a trained <laughs> actor and takes his craft quite seriously. It's, it's really not a joke. I think Rick does a really good job, and I hope he continues to get some opportunities to do those things because it just is another way to promote that guys just don't have after they're done playing basketball, it's not like, ah, well, he used to play basketball, and he can't really do anything but go grocery shopping and go home. Right. There's other things that guys could do and have talents for, whether it's music or art or, uh, like in Rick's case, uh, dramatic theater. Um, <laughs> guys, guys have outside interests, and I love when guys go explore those things and aren't afraid to challenge themselves to do it, and I'm, I'm really happy for his success. Thanks, Brent. Hey, Brent, I know you play some instruments. What what, what have you been passionate about beyond uh, sports, man? Well, besides the NBA Hangtime podcast, it's uh, really been playing uh, playing my guitar, trying to figure right, out how yeah. to play that. He's got skills. Thing. I know. Um, I know. I'm, a huge, I'm a huge independent music fan, so I, I try to go to a lot of music festivals and, and enjoy that. And yeah. uh, really just having some, some time with my kids. And enjoying really the the reason why I got to this stage and get done playing. It's kind of like I'm ready for my real life to begin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. And I'm I'm really enjoying that part of it. And you know, working in NBA TV has been a fantastic outlet. I love going and talking hoops and getting a chance to run into guys. Uh, but the the real life moments about getting getting out to LA and surfing in the summer and and spending time with my boys and having them experience what it's like to grow up. That that's the best part. How's that next generation of berries? They play? We might have a couple coming. <laughs> okay. We might have a couple more. We, <laughs> my we, uh, John has a couple of boys who are pretty good, and one of my guys is switched on in, in some way. So who knows? That would be unreal if there was another generation. I feel uh, bad for the coaches, but it would be unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Brent, we can't let you go. I mean, we, we have a former slam dunk champion here, and the, the slam dunk contest is coming up next weekend. We don't know who's in the contest yet, but who would you – is there a guy who you got your eye on or you, you're looking out for this year? There have been some rumors that James Flight White might be in the dunk contest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in Houston my last year playing, and James was in training camp with us. 
He was also in San Antonio for uh, for a cup of coffee and had a good look at him. But he's a really great kid. He's a fantastic leaper, uh, a really long jumper. And if you go onto YouTube and check out some of the things he's capable of doing, I think he yep. would up, uplift the contest a little bit. Um, I don't know. Is Eric Bledsoe, is he, could he be considered a guy that could be in the dunk contest? I'd like to see a small guy in there, maybe mm-hmm. Nate 2.0 well, with uh, with uh, Eric Bledsoe. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know who else. I, I'm, I'm hoping that it just goes over well. I'm tired of really the criticism of the contest. Just, just enjoy what the guys do. Yeah. Paul George, maybe? Get Paul George in there again? Yeah. Yeah, Paul would be great. But the it's only an thing, exhibition. The, let, the, let them just – you know, let, let's just have a little bit of fun with that. The only thing that worries me about Flight White is is he's 30 years old now. Is is that? I mean, he's been around for a while, and I don't know that. I'm just. I hope he still has what he used to have, like in the McDonald's game when he was going through the legs and all that stuff. Wow, but he's been waiting for this moment, Lang. You don't think that he would be pumped up for that? I mean, obviously anybody can win the contest, as proven by me. <laughs> but I think he'd be really pumped up uh, to do something like that. I know he would. Yeah. I know he's put on a show. Yeah. I hope so. Brent Barry always putting on a show on NBA TV on The Jump, the best show on NBA TV, according to Lang. I, I would have said that last but year. But there's only two. There's that and the beat. Exactly. So we're, <laughs> we're you. Exactly, man. Listen, we we appreciate you hanging with us, Bones. And uh, Listen, if you want to leave uh, a key under the mat for me the next time I'm in L.A., just go ahead. Oh, yeah, I'll, you know. I'll lock up. You know the you know the view. Yes, sir. You know the view. I will lock up and make sure I say hello to all the pretty neighbors. You're welcome anytime. <laughs> Brent Barry, hey, thanks, Rick, man. Good, good to hear your voice, Rick. You guys take care. Thanks, Brent. Thanks, Brent. Good talking right. to you, bud. Bye-bye. That's, that's, one of the, the, that's one of the guys, Lang, and I got a chance to work with him on the jump, obviously, for a few years here. Um, that, you know, when you see a player, and Rick, I'm sure you get this all the time, Rick. Guys see you play, and they see you in the public eye. And then they get to know you, and they're, they're usually – and this is a compliment. They're stunned at how down-to-earth somebody is or how, you know, man, you're so normal or you're funny and you just have a good time. And you, he's yeah. That's one of my favorite dudes, and I don't – you know, and I don't hang with a lot of people that I work with, uh, mostly because they're all five and six inches or, you know, a whole foot taller than I am, and I don't like the, you know, humiliation of standing next to 3D and people ask me if I'm – the same height as Nate Robinson or not, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but Bones goes down in my Hall of Fame of fun dudes to be around, man. And I I wish we had him on here more, but I love it when we get him get him on here and get some of his thoughts because he's super smart, um, yeah. and 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 well schooled and so much different, you know, so many different things, man. It's good to hear him on here and and that that Dwight conversation from from you and 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 Brent is something that I I hope people really sit down and listen to because it's it is very. It's very telling to hear the perspective you guys bring on a, on a player like Dwight. I play with his brother and never got a chance to really uh, know Brent well, but getting to know him now through working together here at NBA TV. And uh, I, I would have loved to have won a championship with him, play with him. He, mm-hmm. Can you tell just yeah. in the way he approaches yeah. the game, talks the game, thinks the game, that you know, he's, he had a lot to do with the success when they were there, when they were winning championships. And, and it's good to, good to see he's – He's uh he's still involved in the game, man. I, d- I wrote a story, wrote a story on the uh, Spurs back in the, I guess 2003 or something, and I went. I actually just the other day I went back and looked at all the quotes that I had gathered while I was there, and the best quotes by far were from Brent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Fun. I didn't even remember it. 
No. He, he's got a knack for that, man. Speaking of uh, Dwight and the Lakers, our very own Lang Whitaker uh, was trolling around an NBA arena uh, here recently. I believe it was before the uh, Lakers Brooklyn Nets game. If it was I'm actually uh, it was at their shoot around. It wasn't at the arena. Oh, really? Where'd you catch it? They were at the New York Athletic Club, ah. which is in Manhattan. I guess they didn't want to go all the way back to Brooklyn and back to, right. to do the shoot-around. Yeah, anyway. well, Lang, uh, Lang caught up with one Steve Nash. And, uh, guys, let's take a listen to their conversation here. How's it going? The last couple of weeks, seems like you guys kind of turned a corner. It's it's better. I mean, we obviously won a few games, and uh, there was a little more confidence, a little more cohesion. But, you know, we still have a ways to go, I think, at both ends of the floor. Um, the common experience at the end of games is still new to us. And then, right. you know, we've got a lot of injuries and situations to deal with, so we're still not having a lot of consistent time on the court as a unit. How has it changed uh, just whatever you guys have done the last couple of weeks with Kobe facilitating more? Or? Well, yeah, I mean, it was really unspoken. You know, he just came out and started uh, setting up his teammates. And, yeah. you know, I think it just makes our team so much more dangerous. Um, you know, when he's a facilitator, it makes everybody a threat instead right. of him having to, like, take tough shots over double teams. So, um, you know, he, he's been great, and I think it's it's really, you know, invigorated a lot of our guys and feel enthused about what we're doing. How's it changed for you? Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely been off the ball a lot more, yeah. you know. Um, you know, it's kind of changes a little bit game to game. Last game, I felt more like a point guard. A few games before that, I felt like I was more of a two guard. Right. But, and I think the important thing for me is just to embrace whatever this team needs and, and you know, I think uh, commit to that. I think one of our one of our struggles this year is that we've had guys with a lot of success in their careers, and you know. If we're going to wait for it to be the way it was, you know, we can never fit all those ways together. So it's important for us to try to, you know, do whatever we can to embrace this new unit and the new chemistry and try to do whatever you can going forward instead of trying to wait for things to be like it was in the past. Lane Whitaker doing a little work finally. Got off the couch <laughs> talking to Nash. You know, what What was the mood, Lang, in terms of what kind of body language did you read from Nash and, and some of those guys in terms of I, where they are right now? To, well, to me, the most interesting thing was I, I talked to Metal World Peace for a while, mm-hmm. and actually right after we got finished talking, I stood up and I checked my phone, and there was an email that he had gotten suspended <laughs> for the game. So I didn't even get to ask Jinx. him about that. Uh-huh. But the thing to me that was kind of surprising was how on point he was with like the message of, yeah. of of this team is getting better and we're improving and we're all doing whatever it takes to make this team better um he i i asked him several times like about the way he's his game has changed i've seen him taking a lot more threes i think the last few weeks since kobe's become this facilitator guy and he was like look we're all just trying to do whatever it takes to make this team better nash alluded to it there and he said you know, I, I felt like a two guard, but I'll just embrace it. I'll do whatever I have to do. So I, I, I was, I came away not thinking this Lakers team is in trouble. I, I thought that they're they're going to figure this thing out. So, do you, uh, Rick, do you no, think? Do you see it, Rick? Do you see the, the corner they <laughs> can turn? They can turn, but you look at the teams they're playing. Yeah, uh, they're not playing any heavy weights right now, and I and and uh, I mean, I look that was a great win against Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, the other night, and then without the you know without Howard and, and Powell going down, and they still found a way. Uh, there's some bright spots with the return of Blake and Earl Clark playing extremely well for them. I I, I just don't know how in a series of basketball with all the ups and downs and inconsistencies and the in the lack of confidence in each other and the system and the coaching staff and mm. and the finger pointing and the whining. I mean, it, it's just it's they're 
too many holes uh, like Swiss cheese <laughs> to go to, even if they didn't make the playoffs to go far Yeah, because at some point as pressure packed and as tight knit as a team has to be and how possession to possession, you can't have the lapses of focus or concentration or energy uh, that you have to have to move on in the playoffs. They haven't done it consistently enough to, to in my eyes, warrant us to cons- to be considering them seriously as a contender still mm-hmm. they'll, 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 they'll raise our eyebrows from time to time here going down the wire they may make they may make the playoffs and there'll be this hope of well, can they string it together like the 2014 and make it to the nba finals only to get smacked down as we did by the detroit pistons uh <laughs> yeah. and, and that and that's because you know basketball is, is a team sport which requires a group of men to kind of be in in concert and in sync and, and actually have uh, understanding of each other and, and confidence in what you're doing in, in, in a system and calling on you know big moments for big plays that have come from 82 games of doing it and believing you can do it you know that's how you build your confidence and yeah. they just haven't done that so there's so at any point there's a chink in the armor or a question mark that pops up later on down the road they're going to they're going to instantly go back to questioning themselves, questioning whether or not they've earned it, whether they deserve to be in the position they're at, and they'll default to, you know, we should be bowing out anyway. So, you know, so it's just, it's good fodder and good talk for a potential possibility. Yep, yeah, six out of 7, the last 7. Great. You know, they, this this is uh this is what they're going to need to do if they're going to make the playoffs. I just I just see that it's not really against anyone. Yeah, like Brent said, I mean, uh, the first question we asked Brent was just about, you know, what's the back, you know, and I always ask myself that going into All-Star Weekend. Like, I know, as, you know, as writers, you tend to break the season down into these halves, you know, whatever goes on before the All-Star break and then after the All-Star break, it's like everybody, you know, sits up straight and you decide, all right, well, who's serious about winning a championship or, tr- you know, or trying to make the playoffs and who's not. There's that always that kind of – common thread throughout the league you know in recent years to me it's really been about LeBron um mm-hmm. his last few years in Cleveland and then you know obviously in Miami it was always this thing in the back of your head like what you know is, is this the year that LeBron gets it and it turns it around and they win you know blah 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 this year the he the heat have been basically pushed aside as that common thread story for everybody and, and replaced by the Lakers which I think is just I didn't I never thought we'd be here when I saw the work they did in the summer to add, you know, Nash and Dwight. It's just, it's still stunning to me that we're we're at this point, you know, going into All Star Weekend next week and the Lakers are not in a in a much better position. Do you think we'd be riding the heat if, oh if my God. Know, a better story? If, I mean in terms of what we would have expected or should have expected. Oh my I mean, could you imagine if the Heat that first year were three games out of the playoff chase in the East? It yeah. would have been um it would have been similar. It would have been craziness. And what about what about even at the current state they are as as defending champions with their level of play? Would they would have they be in a big disappointment? Yeah, and I I don't think they've been disappointed so much as I think they've just kind of come back to earth in a lot of ways and and are you know struck with some of the realities that hey, you know, all that you did last year, you had flaws as a as a team. That that are kind of showing themselves now, you know, as teams have gotten used to playing these guys a certain way and dealing with them a certain way. I think we've seen that Miami can flip the switch when they have to, and yeah. the Lakers, yeah. the Lakers, we haven't, we don't know if we that don't know if they got the switch. Yeah, we don't yeah. even know if, those, they, know if the switch is they, working. 
They could switch the the the, the New Orleans dome. <laughs> <laughs> Smith screen. Posey will defend. Oh! LeBron James with no regard for human life. Wow. What a collision. Gordon doubled by Rondo. Banks oh. it in. <laughs> what a dive Ooh. by Gordon. Oh, what a shot. Oh, oh what about that? Grant Hill taking it inside hard. He's got six. Durant, who comes galloping and oh. driving and taking it down. Guys, I know this is a, a, a tough tough call for this guy because he's one of the busiest men in the business but right now Kevin Harlan uh, of TNT you've heard his voice uh, non-stop over the years here on TNT is joining us on the Hangtime Podcast fresh off of radio duty at the Super Bowl Kevin how you doing man I'm doing fine great to be on with you guys thank you hey now listen we got to get this out of the way now we heard some rumors uh, I don't know if it was Reggie Miller or uh, or Steve Kerr who started this rumor up but apparently oh. your iPad your iPhone and several other gadgets of yours were plugged into an outlet at the Superdome. And I'm, I'm just saying, and the next thing we know, lights go out for 34 minutes at the Super Bowl. Can you help us get to the bottom of this thing at all? Uh, I, first of all, <laughs> Kerr and Miller have got big mouths. Second of all, <laughs> it's completely false. And I think they better look in the mirror because they're always plugged in trying to get juice for their iPads and their iPhones. <laughs> Reggie Miller is one of the most mechanically inept people I have ever come across in my life. Really? He can't even spell iPad, let alone run an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how was that experience? I mean, that's a, that's a rarity now for it to be at an event like that, and you get a 34-minute interlude. Because somebody turned the lights off. I mean, what was what was that like experiencing that? Well, the first thing you think of, all right, all right, Beyonce, not only was she looking great up on stage, <laughs> but, man, the electrical feeling that she generated from that stage was just like <laughs> cosmic or something. So it just, just completely knocked out all the circuits. No, they, uh, they had actually had some problems over the last couple of months down there trying to get enough power into the, uh, into the dome. It's... It is not the newest building, and they've tried to uh, update it over the years, most recently with brand-new lights that the NFL helped uh, put in. And uh, But Beyonce's stuff was all run on a separate generator, so that had nothing to do with it. That was one of the uh, reports coming out initially, but that had nothing to do with it. They just, uh, they just uh, overshot the runway, I guess, a little bit and how much power they needed. But it's interesting because they've had Final Fours there, they've had National Championship games there, they've had... You know, Sugar Bowl's there every year. The Saints play there every afternoon, you know, in the fall. I, I don't know I don't know what uh, what the problem is. They're still going into it, obviously, but it was weird when it happened. I, I work with Boomer Esiason, and being a New Yorker and having lost several uh, friends when the towers went down on that terrible Tuesday, uh, 9-11, he, uh, he instantly thought there might be something sinister. In fact, said as much. Uh, he says we're living in a different world now, and uh, and certainly that that crosses your mind initially because there was no PA, there was no uh, message on the board, so you just had to kind of leave it to your own, I guess uh, you know anxiety and control that as we were trying to figure out what was going on. And sure enough, they just had the electrical outage and it rebooted, and then half hour later we were playing football again. Yeah. Did you did you guys lose your your power, Kevin? I know Jim Nance and Phil Sims went off the air. Basically, I did, were you guys able to keep going? No, we had, we lost the, the entire press box. All the the media members from all over the world that were on that side of the stadium lost power. 
Um, the the TV trucks for CBS were on the other side of the stadium, which either had clicked into reserve power or had not been affected by the blackout. About 60% of the stadium now is affected, but the 40% that wasn't also had the CBS TV truck. So that's why they were able to stay on the air. But because the booth was powered by that side of the stadium, uh, where I was, just uh, we were just above them, uh, yeah, we got knocked out. So we just used a phone line, just like I'm using right now. And it wow. was not a cell. It was a... It was a regular phone line plugged into the wall, and we just used that for about uh, about twenty twenty five minutes until they resumed the power. <laughs> wow! Well, hey, Kev, did you see any of the fans that, that were in that side of the arena? Was there any panic at all? No, that's a that's a great uh, question. There, I thought it was very calm uh, and almost to the point where like there was uh, some anxiety, and and there probably should have been. There's seventy one thousand people in there. As a side note, my, I brought my family down. We have three girls and a boy, and one of my daughters was in the bathroom, and the lights went out in there. And, um, and so for the first time as a parent, I said, thank God a teenager has a cell phone, because she was able to turn on the cell phone and navigate her way out of the, out of the darkened bathroom but into a darkened corridor, into the hallway. The, 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 the concourse wow. were dark, too. So it was, uh, yeah, I'm sure there were some anxious moments on everybody's part. When, when it went off, about 15 guys... Uh, we're in civilian clothes, suits. We're all uh, running out onto the field and talking into the lapel, which, of course, is the microphone for the communication system for all these security people. And I'm sure uh, we'll never know in big events like this, but I'm sure uh, Super Bowls, Final Fours, NBA championship games, all of it, uh, I, I, th- I think they've all got uh, security people we never know are even there. But they're around and they're watching. And I guess it was somewhat comforting that they were so quick on the scene and then when they didn't yank the players off the field, I knew it was just a mechanical thing and not a not a serious threat. Because had it been a threat, they would have ushered those players off the field sure. uh, in no, no short order. TNT's Kevin Harlan is joining us now on the Hang Time Podcast. <laughs> Give me an idea, Kevin. What's tougher or more challenging, I guess, from your standpoint in terms of trying to call the game? A, a, an NBA game that's moving, I guess, you know, in constant motion compared to what you get with the starts and stops in football or the biggest NFL game of the year? Um, which which one is tougher to call? Well, radio football to me is incredibly difficult mm-hmm. because it's, it's the purest form of broadcasting. Uh, when you're doing a radio play-by-play, especially if you're like the Super Bowl, and this is my fourth, uh, I, I think I think you're, you're, you're encompassing everything that a broadcaster has. You're using your voice. You're using your pacing so that it's understandable. You're yeah. trying to uh, find the right word to use, uh, adjectives, whatever, to describe what's going on in the field. You've got to be incredibly alert because of so many sub-packages coming in on both offense and defense. Um, you, you've got to make sure you know the personnel so quickly. On television, doing the NFL and CBS, uh, you have the benefit of being kind of the fourth in line in terms of importance your your the 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 the, the picture is number one if a, if a picture is worth a thousand words no need for the announcer to say anything you can see it so that's number one number two is the analyst because they got to kind of describe a complicated game number three are the graphics and the replays that will shoot up there and number four and maybe a distant four is the play-by-play guy so the importance on a radio play-by-play guy in football i think is off the charts and again back to my term of the the, the purest form a broadcasting because you're using reporting skills and everything I mentioned before to convey as clearly and succinctly but as colorfully as you can to that guy driving down I-95 down the eastern seaboard. 
And in basketball, to me, I, I hate to say this because I don't want to diminish my job or the guys that are on here with us today. Sure. But but uh, it's like a running conversation. You can there's so much scoring. You can see what's going on, and and really, I think if you engage in a conversation with your analyst. I think that always makes for something more entertaining. We can see the layup by Nene, or we can see the jump shot by, by whoever, and 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 you know it, it's pretty explanatory. And then you just kind of accent it. That's the 18th point for Allen Houston. That's Rick Fox's, you know, third uh, three point. Super duper slam quarter. dunk. Say it, Kevin. <laughs> or whatever. You know, so so you've got, you know, you can just accent that and then continue on with your conversation because it it, it just kind of fits in. I worked with Doug Collins for seven years at TNT, and that's. That's kind of the tempo that we got on. Plus, basketball is so rhythmic, yeah. and it, it, once you get that, once you've captured the rhythm of the game, it, it really becomes pretty easy. And it's just flow and rhythm and listening and, and and making sure that you pick your points when you get in there. Now, if the game gets tied at the end, of course, now it's it's more intensive play by play. You're talking about screens and who the defensive guy is, and on and on. And you, you are a little bit more, uh, you know, basic in your call. Sure, I, I know, Kevin. I'm sure you called a lot of things you probably haven't had to call too many rick fox super duper slam dunks <laughs> oh in my <laughs> dreams one, i have <laughs> that was one shining moment right there kev <laughs> well i'm sure kevin, carolina you, you you banged a lot in and i know in the nba i know i know in one of your stops wherever they may have been i i'm sure i called one of your dunks somewhere i hope i hope <laughs> Kevin, as someone who does so many different sports, like you do the NFL, you do college basketball, you do NBA, I was just curious, uh, what's your sort of daily routine like? How do you keep up with all these different things at the same time? Well, when uh, when all three are going on at the same time, uh, and I also do Monday night football on radio, so I've got the two football games on the weekend and then the TNT game on Thursday, and then and then I really don't start college basketball, to be quite honest, until after uh, the uh, January 1st. So that, I'm in that right now. This weekend, for instance, I have Ohio State and Indiana and Columbus. And uh, a couple, uh, well, last week I had uh, Michigan State and Indiana. So mm. um, uh, it's, uh, it takes less time to prepare for basketball. Uh, the most preparation is for TV NFL football. And then the, the radio football on Monday nights and the playoffs and the Super Bowl require a lot because you truly – You've got to have these names and numbers memorized backwards and forwards. So that, that, that takes a little bit of time. And, and I, what I, I guess my schedule for an NBA game typically on, on a Thursday is I'll, I'll start going back about a week to ten days, uh, reading stories and, and going across the Internet and picking up any nuance or, or good line or statistic I can find, add that up all week long. And so when I fly into a city, and we're going to Denver on, on this Thursday, so tonight I'll fly into Denver and read these stories finish up that, put them on my, on my uh, sheets and my information boards. And then tomorrow morning uh, in Denver, we'll have a 10 o'clock uh, production meeting where Reggie Miller will be there, and we'll talk about the things that are important to him. He is a uh, basketball junkie, as you, as you guys all are too, but he watches every game, knows the players. He's all over the scene. So <clears throat> he has some great observations, and we'll use those as, as a talking point throughout the broadcast. So then throughout the afternoon, I'll, I'll brush up on my notes. I'll look at the press releases and get ready to go. I, I don't think you want too much information because you don't want to be paralyzed by too many notes. You want to let the game kind of, you know, become the story. And, and, if, and if all the writers are there writing about that game, you're broadcasting it live and chronicling it as it goes. 
Mm-hmm. So that's that really becomes our focus is just making sure that we're keeping up on everything that's going minute to minute through that through that game and uh, to the conclusion. Mm-hmm. TNT's Kevin Harlan joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast, guys. Um, Kevin, can you can you elaborate a little bit just on the not only the the preparation but the time you know consumption that goes on. I, we all understand it because I think, you know, we've, we've either been on the road. Rick's obviously played. He's been on the road and understands the rigors of, of NBA travel. And everybody thinks it's this glamorous thing. I have friends all the time ask, man, you got the greatest job in the world. And I was like, well, when I was a beat writer for all those years and I was catching those crack-a-dawn flights here and there and everywhere and having to be in Milwaukee one night and, you know, Miami the next, it sounds glamorous, looks glamorous, but it, it can be a grind. You know why it is? Is because you've always got something ahead of you. You got to yeah. write that story, or you got that broadcast. You got to prepare for. So you can never really be like the rest of the people that you're flying with. They're all playing, you know, words with friends, <laughs> Donkey Kong, and all this other, you know, solitaire. I always come home and tell my wife. I say, I'm, I'm always stunned by how many people are dressed up in these suits and look like they're, you know, deep into a business deal. And I look over, and they're, and they're playing, like, crossword puzzles. Or they're doing something like, uh, like Goofy Miss Pac-Man or something. It's just like, I, 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 and here I am going over these notes, and it's like you can never really enjoy a city. Like, I, I, I won't be able to enjoy Denver, and I don't want to spend as much time as I can at home, number one. So I take the last flight out, and it's an hour, and I'm, I'm in Kansas City. That's where I met my wife, and I mm-hmm. used to do the Chiefs on radio. We just decided to, to uh, raise our family here, so we've just stayed here. But uh, but really, that's all these flights are for. So you really can't go out and enjoy a beach or really a nice meal or there's not much social, uh, at least for the play-by-play guy. And and then and then you do the game and then you're exhausted. Then you try to get to sleep, but it's hard to do. But you want to get the first flight out because you want to get back home again. And then I've got another game on Sunday for CBS, so I've got to you know just start digging into that. So there's never really a chance to read a book or you know casually <laughs> yeah. walk through an airport or really enjoy a a nice hotel room or a nice city or a nice restaurant because, at least from my perspective, I've got so many balls in the air right now that, that if I do any of that, one of them is going to fall and, and, and then I'll, I'll drop the ball, and I, I can't do that. So I, it's, uh, it's just kind of nonstop work, and I, it, get, it wears on you a little bit, believe me. I mean, you guys know it. It's, uh, to, to, to be at this level and to keep up with as many things, even if it were just the NBA you were doing, right. there's so much going on every day. Uh, you know, an, an injury or a, or, a, or a demotion or a promotion or a guy's getting hot or a guy's gotten cold or a team's making a move or a team now is, you know, lost six of seven. It just, mm-hmm. it just changes so much. And with all the teams and all the players and all the things, you know, we got the, the trade deadline approaching and an all-star. And, I mean, there's just, there's just uh, 101 things to keep constant contact on all the time. And I guess I just never feel like, like the travel has ever been a, a big part of it. it it's not. It's, it's the, the worst part of the job, actually. It's... It's you know you feel good when that when that game is over and you can take off your headset, but then you know there's another game you got to start working for right and early the next morning, and that you know, it's it's it, there's a lot there on the plate. Yeah, Kevin, you mentioned earlier having to know the players' names backwards and forwards and memorizing everything. It just made me curious: is there is there ever been a guy, or is there a guy now with is there one particular name that gives you trouble? Um, well, in football, there was a tight end who played at Illinois, and of course, these dumb football coaches—they don't even learn to say the guy's last name. <laughs> right. So they, they just, just call him Illinois Mike. Well, his first name is Mike, but he, and he went to Illinois. So that's what they call him. And, and and but his name is—and I hope I can remember it now—Huhu Huo Ho Ho Manawanui. 
And when I get a name like that, I mean, I say it like, like to myself all the time. Sometimes I'll say it out loud, hitting the cough button, so that when I come back on again, I, I, can, say it, I can say it the right way. But, no, you know, the NBA has been, has been pretty good about, about handing out uh, these names. And I've seen so much over the years that they just kind of become like your kids' names. I mean, you just know them so easily, and it just right. kind of rolls off your tongue. And, uh, you know, Kirk Heinrich doesn't spell his name the way it sounds, for instance, for Chicago. Mm-hmm. Or Andre Igudawa, who has had his name pronounced about 18 different ways. Uh, you know, but, but I've been doing him his entire nine-year NBA career. So it's like uh, I, it just kind of becomes part of, of what you're all about. But there are right. some of these NFL players, because we have 53-man rosters, and, and a lot of change from year to year, sometimes week to week. And, and there is a significant Samoan uh, grouping in the NFL where you're going to run into those, those names that are, uh, you know, there are a lot of vowels there. Then you get a guy. Then my favorite guy is this Alexi Schved up in up in Minnesota. He's got one vowel in his last name. That's, that's like a name they may say on Sesame Street. Ah, here's our guy. Uh, here, here, here's the local milkman Schved. You know. Hey Sam, do you ever give anyone nicknames? Have you ever assigned any nicknames? To yeah, only nickname I've uh, well uh, one, and that was uh, Kevin Garnett when I was doing the Timberwolves and. And uh, when he signed the big contract, he became for them the big ticket, and yeah. that, that that was my that's the only nickname I've really ever given. Uh, you know, Chuck Person was up there, and it was the end of his career, and he already had the nickname the Rifleman uh, in his in the last days of his NBA career. Uh, but but uh, when he started to get hot every once in a while, even though he was a little overweight and a little pudgy, I don't even say it because I know him. But he was he was at the end of the road, but he was still shooting those threes like it was no one's business. And uh, sometimes the rifleman would get it right between the eyes, and I just thought that was a, you know, a term to use for him, but not his nickname. Only Kevin Garnett, and that was the big ticket, and that was back when I was doing the Timberwolves in the late '90s. That's a guys. That's a pretty good nickname to have on your resume, right there. Yeah, you know, yeah. A, a Hall of Fame nickname for a guy who's a, a Hall of Fame announcer in our eyes. Kevin Harlan from TNT joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. Hey, Kev, we, we're sorry to chew into your time, man. Get a little, get a little rest. I mean, you know, you, you shut off the lights at the Superdome. You got plenty of work to do. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll listen to you and watch you on TV and see you down the road, my man. And I'll be listening and watching you guys as well. Thank you so much. Enjoy the time with you. That's, that's you, it. That's it. Kevin Harlan, guys from TNT, join us on the Hangtime Podcast. It's time for bragging rights as the guys put their rep on the line. <sighs> Somehow or another, uh, 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 we, we uh, uh, all uh, uh, went O for something. On our Super Bowl picks. I don't, I don't know why I was listening to y'all about the Super Bowl picks. I had money on the lights going out. <laughs> I knew the Ravens were going to win this game. What am I? Eh. Knew Ray wasn't going. I knew Ray Ray wasn't going to go out without a ring. Man, come on now. Oh for three on our Super Bowl picks. Thank goodness for the goodness that is me sitting atop the bragging rights section. Twenty four and sixteen, one and two last week. I've been on a bit of a, a losing skit here recently, but I'm still leading the pack. Uh, Rick, steps coming. I know you hear my footsteps. Rick, I, I'm serious. You're making me nervous now. 22 and 18, uh-huh. two uh-huh. and one last week, and Lang, looking rather Laker-esque, uh, at 20 and 20, and another one and two week for you, Lang. What's what's the problem, Mr. Whitaker? Can you get it together? I, I don't know if you guys hear this. Listen, that was uh, I just used some deer antler spray. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. You should be week. you should be drinking it. <laughs> Spraying ain't gonna cut it. What do we got, Greg? What's up? What are, what are the games this week? All right, first game will be. Then we're gonna let Lang go first here, since he's oh, at the great, bottom thanks. of the barrel. 
Clippers at the Knicks. This is the first time these teams have faced each other this season. Oof. Mm. What day is that? Sunday. Sunday primetime action? Yeah. I, I believe the Clippers, they're on this East Coast swing. No CP3? I'm looking it up, yeah. They play they play Miami on Friday. Ooh. They have Saturday night off in New York. <laughs> they're gonna need it. They're gonna need a night off after and Friday play, night. And they play a 1 p.m. game against the Knicks the next day. That's uh, bad. I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna take the Knicks on that game. Yeah, I'm going with the Knickerbockers myself. I, I definitely think this is a this is a tough stretch for the Clippers, Rick. Yes, but I'm th- I'm seeing a return of the Paul one, <laughs> yeah. of the Chris Paul one, at least by Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go counter to what I suspect is going to be the actual outcome in the Knicks. But I'm going to play the I'm going to play the injured reserve list, and I think Chris Paul returns in time to just salvage a win in New York. But you really think the Knicks are going to win? I really think the Knicks are going to win. <laughs> I'm playing against Grain in hopes that Chris Paul comes back and makes the difference. This is some championship level picking we're here. Yes, yep, I got to get on my game here. I like that. I like that. You know, if Rick if Rick gets goes two and one and Seku, I mean, we could have a new leader next week. <laughs> Watch your tongue. All right. Second game will be the Spurs at Brooklyn. Spurs. I'm going. I, I'm going with the Spurs. I don't care what anybody else says. The Spurs are right now playing. They do this at least for uh, like a seven week stretch every year. It seems like where doesn't matter who they play. You got to play the game of your lives to beat them. And this, you know, is this the rodeo stretch? Yeah. I mean, aren't they in the rodeo? Uh, yeah, they're, they're on the road for three weeks. Right, they're doing the rodeo straight. road trip. I'm I'm going with the Cowboys from uh, from San Antonio, Texas, and uh, the Spurs win this one over Brooklyn. Mr. Fox? Oh, okay. I was hoping Lang was going <laughs> to step in there again. I'll, I'll, I'll say so, this. I'll, wait, I'll give you this. I'll give you this little tip. I'm just looking at their schedules. Thank you. They're helping each other out now. The Spurs, the, the Spurs play uh, at Brooklyn on Sunday night, and then on Monday night they play at Chicago. I wonder if this is one of those nights where Greg Popovich says, let me uh, rest some guys. we got you know a big game within 24 hours on the road. I don't know. Just saying. Just throwing that out there. You don't want to see well, Gary Neal and the boys. You don't want to see them. Well, here's what here's what I I have to say, um, and I and I'm looking at this from the standpoint that Tim Duncan has not been the healthiest and has been questionable, and is questionable for Wednesday's game. So I'm I'm going with the fact that they usually string together stretches of of wins like this, and they're at like ten in a row now. At that point, they'll be maybe eleven, twelve in a row. Um, they're going to get a hiccup, and the reason they're going to get a hiccup is going to be because Brooke Lopez, I think, will play big in the paint in the middle. And so I'm going to go with the streak ending, even though it is the Brooklyn Nets and they just lost to the Lakers, and I don't know how that happened. Uh, I'm going with I'm going with the Brooklyn Nets because I think Pop is going to take a little siesta break with some of his guys too. Two words, Tiago Splitter, baby. Let's nah. go. Come on, Greg. Nah. Wait, wait. I didn't. I, I'm hasn't gone yet. I'm Thanks, going. I'm, I'm going Spurs. Spurs or Nets? I'm. I'm, in, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, the Nets. 
See, write that down, that. Greg. Write that down now. He's Rick's covering all his bases. He's covering man. every base trying to I'm steal going, steal a lead here. It's gonna be close next week. Man, this dude here. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go Spurs. All right, our third and final game. I decided to go off the little beaten path here, Uh-oh. so we're gonna go Minnesota at Cleveland Monday night. Are you serious? I'm going to pass on this game. <laughs> you can't. You could actually take the lead. Jeez. <laughs> Minnesota at Cleveland. Okay, right? hold on. I'll give you a little help here. Minnesota's leading the uh, season series 1-0. I'm going Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, well, the season series ends Monday night. Minnesota plays the night before on the road um, at Memphis. And then they play the next night at Cleveland, which could mean no Ricky Rubio. I'm going Cleveland because Kyrie Irving is going to go at – yeah, I'm going Cleveland. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> Cleveland's, got, Cleveland's at home for like three weeks straight here. So I, I think I, I go with Cleveland. I will rock with the Cavaliers as well. I need to hold on to my lead. Yeah, no, one's be- no one believes in the – By uh, any means necessary. Fed. I love Shved, but Tate happening Monday night. That's Shved right now. Our backcourt <laughs> keep, keep Seku up at nights. So don't don't ever don't <laughs> ever disparage Red. Don't don't go there. Um, I I I do know one thing. If Rick takes the lead, if yeah. if I am if I am to fall back from the top spot in in, in bragging rights, there is going to be problems for somebody around here. Might be it might be Jay Wall, it might be Greg, but somebody's getting it if I lose my lead in bragging rights. I'm just saying that now, because I think there's a conspiracy going on around here trying to get me out of the top spot. <laughs> I believe just last week you guaranteed you'd never be out of the top spot. Uh, please cut, uh, that, cut that tape so we can replay that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Listen, we we owe a big uh, shout out, obviously, to TNT's Kevin Harlan for joining us today on the Hang Time Podcast, as well as our main man, NBA TV's Brent Bonesberry, uh, and certainly laying excellent work uh, talking to Steve Nash there. Uh, some interesting insights, of course, from a guy inside of the mess that is, or that has been uh, the Los Angeles Lakers all season. Certainly trying to see if they can turn that corner uh, and get back on track here. Um, fellas, it's all-star time. Next week, you know, we'll be on the eve of what is the biggest party weekend in, you know, the NBA calendar every year, on the NBA calendar every year. I'm assuming we're all going to be convening in Houston for a little action, a little hang time podcast action at some point. So um, get your rest, eat your Wheaties, you know, do all the things you need to do to make sure you get on that flight. Don't lose your ID, Rick. Um Houston, we, we have a problem. We <laughs> exactly. We got to get to Houston next week. Uh, I'll see you next time right here on the Hang Time Podcast. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store and be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com. And as always, say Kuna Matata.